The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure that you get the best experience. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can sign up to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who've donated to the show recently. They are Daniela Featherstone, David Taylor, Stephen Butterworth, Joanna Seeley, Nina Mahaffey, Helen Clark, and last but not least, Henry Michael. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod, and on YouTube. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience... There will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. The British Podcast Awards are almost upon us, and voting is already open for the Listener's Choice Award. At the Haunted UK Podcast, we're incredibly pleased to announce that you can now vote for us. It's straightforward and so easy to do, and you don't have to be a UK resident. You can be from anywhere in the world. Voting is easy to do. Just make your way over to the British Podcast Awards website, which is www.britishpodcastawards.com, and simply click on Listener's Choice Awards Vote. Search for the Haunted UK Podcast, type in your name and a valid email address, and click Submit. You will then be sent an email asking for you to confirm your vote. Easy as that. It would be so amazing for the show to be recognised in some parts by the whole industry. And you can help do that by casting your vote. 
So once again, get yourself over to www.britishpodcastawards.com and cast your vote today. Voting closes on the 5th of September 2023. Thank you so much in advance. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. One late evening, I was sat downstairs alone when everyone else had gone to bed. I was watching a movie on the TV and I wanted to see the end as I wasn't that tired. Out of respect for the others in the house, I turned the volume down to not disturb them, even though they were quite a way up in the house. As I was sat there, I began to feel uneasy, not something I'd ever felt in that house, or anywhere else for that matter. Feeling anxious, I was strangely afraid of making any sudden movement. I felt like I was being watched, I guess. This is when I began to hear something. It sounded like a cat's bell slightly ringing. Just like you'd hear if a cat was scratching itself. Now they did have a cat. But I was certain that it didn't have a bell on its collar. It only seemed to ring for a second or two before it stopped and made way for something that made my blood run cold and send my whole body into shock. I began to hear whispering coming from the end of the room. Now at first, I wasn't even sure if it was whispering I was hearing, until this one moment where I heard words sharply formed and whispered with some urgency. Something like, He's over there. This is episode 41, part 2 of the Haunted UK podcast, and that was an extract from The Living Room Whisperer, as we return once again to listen to your stories. As with all of the Listener Stories episodes, even going all the way back to Season 1, there seems to be a huge appetite to hear about the experiences of fellow listeners. Stories of incidents which many would think would never happen to them seem to strike at any time and in any place. We return with a second helping of your fantastic listener experiences, and as with Part 1, you won't be disappointed. 
Jack Jardine has been a long-time listener of the show and even contributed to the Listener Stories Part 2 of Season 2, with his extremely spooky tales from the time when he worked at none other than Stirling Castle. Jack writes... Bannockburn House is a 17th-century mansion house located just outside the town of Bannockburn, Stirlingshire. The house was built in 1675 by Sir Hugh Patterson on land purchased along with the baronetcy of Bannockburn. The house itself is considered somewhat of a rarity in Scotland, as excluding a Victorian extension to the rear, it remains mostly true to its original design. Its lay hall and blue room in particular are beautiful examples of decorative work done by Hulbert and Dusterfield, with ornate ceilings of the same design used in their work on Holyrood Palace on behalf of King Charles II. Its façade is very grand, but definitely looks the part of the haunted house, as up until recently the house was in a rather poor state following years of neglect by its absentee owner as well as caretakers with limited capability to preserve the rapidly declining property. In 2017, the property was put up for sale and the people of Stirling came together to raise the money to purchase the house for a community project. The purchase was successful and currently much work is being done by volunteers to preserve the house and return it to its former glory. The house, being disturbed for the first time in many years, has resulted in a reputation for hauntings and paranormal events, and as a result, is becoming very popular with paranormal events groups. To understand these hauntings, it's important to understand a little history. The land on which Bannockburn House was built has been the site of many historical events, many of which predate the house itself. A Roman road exists on the site which was built during the original Roman conquest. Many legions would have marched up this road to only fall victims to the Picts further north. In 1314, King Edward II led his troops up this road to fight in the Battle of Bannockburn. Some of the fighting would have spilled onto the grounds upon which the house now sits and was then on the line of English retreat where many would have lost their lives. In 1488, King James III was murdered on the grounds following the Battle of Sosheburn at the orders of his own son, the future James IV. In 1567, the land was gifted to Sir Robert Drummond by Mary, Queen of Scots, on which he built Drummond Hall, a magnificent home conveniently located on the road between Stirling and Edinburgh. What became of Drummond Hall is unknown, but it is widely believed Bannockburn House was built on the same foundations when Sir Hugh Patterson purchased it in 1675. Much of the stonework on the house's lower levels looks more dated, which supports this theory. The Pattersons began laying foundations in the local community and rose to prominence amongst the local nobility. In 1745, Sir Hugh, son of the original Sir Hugh, Patterson II, became known as a prominent local Jacobite, in an area where this would not be a popular thing to be. During the 45 Rebellion, Prince Charles Edward Stuart stayed at Bannockburn House for a month in January of 1746 to nurse his ill health. During this time, his army won a victory nearby at the Battle of Falkirk Muir, 
and it is believed the house would have housed wounded and dying troops from both sides. Prince Charles would fall in love with Sir Hugh's niece Clementina Walkinshaw during his stay, and she would bear a child of his not long after. However, Charles' rebellion failed, and the Pattersons lost the house as a result, not regaining it for some time after. Following the decline of the Pattersons, the house changed hands many times between prominent families such as the Wilsons and the Mitchells, until the present day. Stories of supernatural activity started almost immediately after volunteers began taking over the care of the house. Disembodied voices, screams, footsteps and objects moving when left unattended were just the beginning of the activity. In those early days of 2016 and 17, the house didn't have the security systems in place that it currently enjoys, and as a result, a caretaker had to stay overnight for security and insurance purposes. He slept in a small room just off to the side of the main entrance, chosen for how easy it was to heat, especially in a building that was often very cold at night. His first night was undisturbed. He heard nothing unusual and slept soundly. However, he woke to the room's door being wide open. He was sure he'd locked it, but maybe he misremembered. He thought nothing of it, but just to be safe the next night, he placed a large chair in front of the door to stop it opening on its own. Same as the night before, he slept soundly and was not disturbed. But to his shock, he awoke to find the chair moved across the room and the door wide open once again. The chair is still in the room to this day and is fairly heavy. It would need to be physically pushed with a good deal of effort to move it. Volunteers entering the house in the morning regularly report footsteps moving around the house from the floors above. Although these are heard in many locations, it is most often heard moving from the kitchen area on the ground floor up to the back stairs to a bedroom on the first floor, similar to a route that may have been taken by servants while attending to the former owners. The spirit these steps are attributed to is known affectionately by the volunteers as Mabel and is thought to have been a member of house staff, perhaps a maid or cook. She's been sighted on rare occasions but is most often heard making her rounds. She has made herself known to some spiritual mediums when visiting the house and overall appears to be a friendlier spirit liking to make sure the house is kept in order and eagerly watching visitors to ensure they behave themselves. Hearing her or feeling her presence doesn't appear to cause the discomfort associated with the other spirits in the house. On multiple occasions, in both the house itself and the gardens, people often claim to hear conversations in French. These are exceptionally clear as many who hear it are often found confused looking to see where the people are. This may be explained by the fact that Prince Charles's bodyguard, called the Royal Ecossaise, was predominantly made up of French soldiers and Scots-Irish previously in French service. They fought at Falkirk Muir, where some of their number were lost, and many would have remained at the house to protect the prince while in residence. 
In the morning room to the building's rear, a lady in black is often seen sitting in a chair beside the window, looking out into the gardens. She is elderly and doesn't appear to pay any heed to those that see her. Her hair is neatly tied back, her gaze exacting and direct. It is believed this spirit is Mrs. Mitchell, wife of James Mitchell Sr., a former owner of the house who tragically lost both of his sons in the Great War. And on his passing in 1923, the house was left for his only daughter, Annie Mitchell, to inherit, who became a well-known name in the community. However, Mrs. Mitchell, a former employee of hers would recall, would sit at the very window she is often sighted at now, watching the workers in the gardens. She was very proud of the house and didn't allow the garden workers inside as they may drag mud in on their boots. The staff would tap on the window and Mrs. Mitchell would open the window and hand them out their pay packets. It seems she still watches over the house today from her favourite spot beside the window. So make sure if you do visit, to wipe your feet before entering. Many paranormal investigators at the house have reported a presence in the same corner of the room where she used to sit, and a dramatic change in temperature when they call out to her. She has been seen on multiple occasions, and although it may sound silly, there is just a feeling when you know Mrs. Mitchell is nearby. The same kind of feeling you get when your boss is coming to watch you work. Many of us make sure to say hello to her when we enter the building, since she's the gaffer. The room that Prince Charlie stayed in, imaginatively called the Prince Charlie Room, is a focal point for paranormal activity and is also the destination that Mabel is often heard walking to. We're unsure who this spirit is that haunts this room, but he is definitely malevolent and is known to dislike women greatly. The room regularly has large drops in temperature and cold spots move around the room, setting off investigators' equipment. Women often report being pushed or pinched by this spirit. Having the sensation of breathing on the back of their neck and chest are regularly reported. Multiple mediums visiting this room on separate occasions describe the figure as a male in a military uniform. Some thought he committed a murder in this room that he is trying to prevent others from discovering. But there is no historical documentation to back this up. It is interesting, however, that they have come up with the same conclusions independent of one another. Opposite the Prince Charlie room is a smaller room. We are unsure of this room's purpose, and it is rather unremarkable, with only a shelf and a fireplace to adorn it. However, many people, myself included, feel a sense of fear and foreboding inside. You feel unwelcome as soon as you enter and it causes an anxiety that almost makes you want to flinch, as if whoever is in there wishes to strike you. I was stewarding a paranormal night in November of 2022. This room isn't usually on the group's route, and we never mention it, as it can be considered as suggestive or encouraging people to have experiences. A member of the group opened the door to have a peek inside, and as I began moving to ask her to move along, she let out a massive scream. A veteran of many paranormal events previously, it was out of character for her to attempt to run for the house exit. I went to check on her outside while she had a cigarette to calm herself down. 
She was, forgive the pun, ghostly white and clearly very shaken. She told me as she peered around the door, she saw a man aged around 50 to 60 years old in Victorian period clothing. He was standing next to the lit fireplace and noticed her immediately, angrily charging towards her as if to force her out. That fireplace hasn't been lit for at least 60 years, and as the room was checked by others, no one was there. It is perhaps this man who causes the aforementioned atmosphere. More recently, motion detectors were placed there alone in the room, and they are regularly heard going off. I avoid that room as much as I possibly can. It is thought that the same spirit may also be responsible for the negative atmosphere felt in the basement, where a figure is often sighted walking towards individuals. Again, this spirit is aggressive and negative, and it is thought he wants to keep people out of that area, particularly women, who most often witness him in the area. The basement area is somewhere you always feel watched, and many unexplained noises are heard by visitors and volunteers. One visitor described to me the feeling of being chased by an unseen force, which left her rather shaken up. She felt as if someone was approaching her. Flooded by a feeling of dread, her mind told her, Run! My God, run now! So she did. On the second floor, children are often heard running around, talking and laughing. It is believed this area would have housed a nursery at some point, so their appearance makes sense. So far, no records have been found pertaining to children's deaths on the property. But that doesn't mean they didn't occur. The most commonly contacted is a young boy who mentions that his friend drowned on the property. Stories of this tragedy have circled the community for generations, but the original facts of the story are relatively unknown. The children are often accompanied by an older gentleman who seems to find the children a nuisance. He is not a malevolent entity and appears to be unaware of those who see him. Some mediums claim he is lost in his own thoughts, stressing over a project of some sort, but none have been able to ascertain what this is. He is out of the same period as the children, so it's likely he knew them in life. On a recent investigation, a gentleman in the group saw him standing in an open doorway the man looking in his direction, but apparently not at him directly. The doorway he was seen in had been locked and bolted for years, as it leads to a roof access that isn't safe for the public. It's as if the witness saw a moment in time. On odd occasions, you can be walking through the house alone or in small groups and hear conversations taking place in the next room. When you go to investigate, no one is there. They can be heard as clear as day. And it's not the house settling. It's not a creaky floorboard. These are distinct voices clearly having a conversation. Perhaps a gathering from the last century being projected again. A heated moment between the Jacobite command. Sir Hugh running his estate. All I will say is that the past lives on in Bannockburn House and will continue to do so. Jack Jardine. Our attention now turns to another Jack 
but this time Jack Henderson, who back in Season 3 told us a series of frightening experiences involving an entity which had seemed to have followed him since his childhood. We'll let Jack take over from here. You may remember my shadow person story which you featured in Season 3's Listener Stories. So, this is the second part of my terrifying experience with this strange shadow person, which seems to continue to follow me. I'd been feeling awful for weeks. I couldn't shake this feeling of dread that kept coming over me. I've been suffering from depression for close to seven years now, but this was different. It was a real dark feeling that wouldn't budge and kept getting worse day by day. I get home around an hour and a half before my wife, so normally I sit and read, play games or do some work around the house. This day, very recently, I was sitting watching some form of YouTube tutorial and again this feeling of foreboding came over me. I felt so cold and alone at that moment. I was genuinely frightened. No matter what I tried, I couldn't get out of this pit that I was being pushed into. I couldn't explain it away as a depressive episode or anything, as this felt different to that somehow, and even harder to define. This lasted for around an hour and stopped as soon as my wife walked through the door. Other than seeing the shadow person, I hadn't really spoken to her about any of this, as I thought it may worry her. All was well until we got into bed. I couldn't sleep. No matter how hard I tried, I could not get myself to fall asleep. My wife, normally a sound sleeper, was asleep but restless, and that worried me. The feeling of foreboding was back and worse than ever. Our bedroom is very dark apart from the dim glow from a lone streetlight across the road from us. It isn't enough light to create shadows and cars rarely come past our house at night. About an hour into trying to get to sleep, I could see something out of the corner of my eye. Something dark and growing next to the door. It was darker than the dark itself and it stood out like a hole in the wall. I watched it grow from around two feet, just being able to see it above my bag, to around six feet where it was towering in the corner of the room. The darkness had the shape of a man, a large slender man, not to be confused with the game. It looked as if it was the shadow of a man stood outside of my room dressed but silhouetted onto my wall. At the very moment the shadow person reached its full height, my wife woke up, sitting bolt upright and staring at the door. She looked at me, then looked at the door and slowly stood up and went to the bathroom. When I asked her about it in the morning, she told me about a dream she was having where there was something watching us go about our daily things in the house. At this, I knew I had to do something. The next day, I parked the van outside the house as usual. My next-door neighbour was outside and asked if I was alright, but not in a friendly way, in a concerned way. I said yes, but I didn't sleep very well last night. He asked me to come in to see his wife. Her name is Sue, and when I walked in, her eyes widened, and she sat me down. And without any hesitation, she asked, Do you feel like you're being followed? 
wanting to appear as normal as I possibly could, and as if there certainly wasn't this invisible presence following me, I replied, Um, no. Sue was insistent. No, she said quite sternly. There is something malicious attached to you. Something that wants you. I couldn't hold it any longer. It was like a pressure valve released, and it all came tumbling out, and I told her everything, from the first sighting all the way up until today. She asked if I would be okay with her performing what I'd describe as a blessing or a spell of some description. I agreed, anything to take this feeling and this depressive pit away from me. So, she sent me on my way. That night, the same issue occurred. I could feel myself not able to sleep, but at the same time, I couldn't take my eyes off the corner of the room. Again, the darkness arrived. This time it was different. It was as if he was scared, as if I had the upper hand, as if something was pushing it away. The ordeal lasted around four seconds and he was gone. I slept soundly that night better than I had in a long time. I now genuinely believe that the shadow person has gone. My depression has ceased to affect me any longer and I feel great in life. I'm moving forward in better ways than I could expect. Sue has spoken to me a couple of times and has told me that the thing following me wanted me for something, as if it thought I could set it free. She really did help me. This is my second story, Salisbury Prison Haunting. As many of you are probably thinking, why the hell did Jack, after all these years of having an attachment, decide to take his wife on a paranormal investigation? Yeah, well, I don't do things by halves, but also, I did know that I had protection that Sue advised me on. It was a great night and really good fun. Some of the things we did were a little out there, for example, table tipping, but we did manage to get a good response from all three things, table tipping, glass divination, and the Ouija board. So first, glass divination. This, for those who don't know, is where two or more people gently rest their fingers on an upside-down glass. It is designed for yes or no questions. So... We started with five of us on the glass. One of the ladies didn't want to join in, as she had had some bad experiences with it before and didn't feel comfortable. The glass was moving from side to side, and the normal, obvious, explainable stuff. Everyone got freaked out and backed out of it, so in the end it was only myself and my wife. We started it again, and slowly the glass began to move. Not in the way it did before, but in a totally new way. It was spinning on the spot. There is no way that either of us could have made it do that. When it started, the lady who didn't want to join in all of a sudden jumped and said that there was a small girl playing around our feet. We stopped to see what was going on, but she said that the girl was in one of the cells now. We rolled a cat toy a flashing ball that flashes with movement into the cell that the lady indicated. It rolled in, stopped completely and stopped flashing. Then it moved back towards us, as if it had been pushed. 
This interaction happened to us in Sea Wing. This is where the women and children were kept before it was used as an area for high-profile criminals and members of society, and eventually solitary confinement. This was also connected to the last night room and hanging room. Next up, table tipping. This is where everyone lightly touches a table with one hand and the table moves from side to side as if someone is trying to tip it. This got violent. We started in a corridor between two of the cell blocks. It was used by wardens and led to an area that was used to strip and check inmates. It also had a toilet block and shower block which reportedly had a lot of activity. We started talking and the table started tipping. It did freak us out quite a lot, but it is very explainable. The part that wasn't explainable was how one of the guys ended up with a huge red handprint on his back with what looked like a baton mark next to it. He stood on his own and was brought to his knees with pain. Last of all, the Ouija board. So only three of us joined in with this one as the others were quite apprehensive. We sat in one of the cells board on a table and we got ready it took a little time to be able to get any answers but we did eventually the young guy who was with us the one with the mark on his back was one of the three with their fingers on the planchette as we asked more questions he was starting to look more worried the color drained from his skin tears rolling down his face it was clear he was getting very distressed some of the answers didn't make any sense to us, but they made a lot of sense to the young man. We let him start asking questions. One memorable question he asked was this, Tell us one thing that only I would know. And the answer was craze. A bit of a backstory, the lad's granddad was heavily involved with the Cray twins, and he had died recently. Every question asked, he said, was answered in a way that only his granddad would know. This was incredibly moving and really showed me how powerful Ouija boards can be. I'm still unsure about it all, but I have to say that there were some very convincing things that happened, and I would definitely like to do more experiences like this. And if you ever get the chance, it's well worth it. I will be going again. Thank you. I really appreciate you reading out my experiences. Next up, we join Dee, who regales us with tales from her current haunted abode, something she is living with right now, every day. This is a ghost story in real time. The house was built in the 70s on old farmland, and we are next to a small river, and I think it was built on an old footpath or thoroughfare. Very often I see a figure walk past the kitchen window on the way to our front door, and I will faithfully go to answer it, only there will be nobody Hello? there. Hello? The kids used to stand in the hallway laughing at me sometimes, me talking to someone at the front door. And that's just only the tip of the iceberg, really. So I'm going to outline seven unnerving incidents in this house. That I would like to share. Number one. My youngest was asleep in his cot, which was at the far end of his room, opposite the door. It was just me and him at home. I went into his room to wake him up, and as I stand next to his cot, 
A strange shadow is cast on the wall in front of me, human-shaped, walking from right to left past his door. We were in darkness, apart from a light source from the bathroom, and I froze in terror as I watched this shadow scurry past us. Thinking it could have been an intruder, I couldn't even move. I was rooted to the spot, but there was no one there. Just a shadow man, so it seemed. Number 2. The mirror in the bathroom is held on the wall with loops hooked tightly over two screws. It is purposely really hard to take off the wall, so the children cannot accidentally knock it. Below the mirror is a small shelf, and below that is the basin set in a vanity unit. I needed to wash my hands, and as I walked into the bathroom, I found the mirror on the bathroom floor, two feet away from the basin, strangely under the towel rail on top of a towel, like it had been placed there. I was home alone all that day. If the mirror had fallen, it would have hit the shelf and basin and would not have bounced to the other side of the bathroom. It would have smashed and made a loud noise. I just said out loud, Please do not play with the mirror. It could be dangerous for the children. Thank you. And there was never anything else to happen in that bathroom. Number 3 I used to have a digital radio stereo in the kitchen so I could listen to Chris Moyles on Radio 1. It was turned on for just an hour or so in the morning. One night, I was woken up to loud music. It was 3am. What the hell is that? I said half drowsy with sleep. It took me a while to realise the music was in my house. I darted down the stairs, still pretty much half asleep, and the music was playing full blast in the kitchen, in the darkness, all except the green light beaming from the radio. It was so eerie. I remember stumbling everywhere, trying to quickly turn the thing off. My heart was racing. I felt so shaken. The strange thing was, was that the radio had been retuned to a different station, and the volume had been turned up to its maximum volume. After turning the radio off, I remember staring into the dark abyss of the kitchen window, thinking, what next? Sounds like such a small thing, but it really frightened me. It was always turned off at the mains from then on. Number 4. As well as this, several times we have been watching TV and the microwave has been turned on using programs and settings we never use. Even the grill was turned on one time. Number 5. After a busy, stressful day, my youngest was in the bath and my eldest was in his bedroom. My eldest decides he needs a stylus for his Nintendo DS. He just can't wait. He needs it right now. You know how kids are. So... I get him to sit in the bathroom with the youngest so I can run downstairs and grab his stylus. I looked everywhere. Not one of the hundreds we must have had could be found. I'm in a hurry because of the youngest in the bath and I'm getting quite wound up and annoyed so I shout up that I can't find one and start to head back upstairs. I tread on the first step and behind me there is a clatter. A Nintendo stylus was on the floor in the middle of the hallway, just appeared out of nowhere. I was rather stunned, but said, 
Thank you. Number six. This actually happened last week. My youngest, who is now 17, is at his PC in his bedroom, headphones in, playing a game. I was in the kitchen with my eldest when I left him to go to the toilet upstairs. Sitting on the toilet, I heard someone trudge across the landing outside the door. At this point, my youngest was still on his PC. I wash my hands, go back downstairs asking, Were you just upstairs? Puzzled, he looked at me and said, I haven't moved. I asked him if he heard someone walking on the landing, and he said yes, but he had just assumed that it was his brother. I explained his brother had not moved from his desk. Slightly chilled, we looked upstairs and tried not to think about what this could mean. But it was nice to have somebody else witness the footsteps. Number 7 We've lived here for 25 years now, coexisting with our spirits. The bumps, the lights turning on or off, etc. is just normal now. A way of life. Although at times, I have felt frightened. I'm certain it's not evil or nasty. My friend is a medium, and when she last came round to cut my hair, she suddenly jumped and gasped, I've just seen an old man, with a cap smoking a cigarette and looking through that window at us. He was really watching what we were doing. I suddenly thought, that sounds just like my granddad. So I found a picture and showed her, and she said, yes, that's him. Granddad only visited my house once before he passed. I like that he pops by to keep an eye on us. He's only ever outside, though. He never comes in so he is not our co-resident. They are still an unknown mystery. Okay, I think that's enough. Sorry it's so long, and I hope they make sense. Thank you for your podcast. I wonder if we have more than one entity inside the house. I would love to do some more proper investigating. I need to do some research on the piece of land the house is built on. If I find anything interesting... I'll let you know. D. Now, folks, it's time for the grand finale of this episode. Press pause. Make yourself a cup of cocoa. Get comfortable, because this story is far from comfortable. This is The Living Room Whisperer. Hi, Steve. Okay. Here's where it all began. My first ever paranormal experience, and it's one that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Once again, I'd like to keep names and locations out of this story. I'm taking you back to the late 90s, when times were great. Oasis and Blur were big bands, awesome blockbuster movies in the cinema, and times were really good. I was in my late teens, 18, 19 and I was in a serious relationship with a girl I'd met in college and we'd been in this relationship for a couple of years. We'd got engaged. I had started work full-time and we were getting ready to start looking for our own place together. But until then, we would stay at each other's houses, etc. Her house was an old mid-terrace Victorian house and was made up of a basement, a ground floor which contained the kitchen, dining room and living room 
the second floor, which housed the bathroom and bedroom, and then the third floor, her bedroom and parents' bedroom. So it was quite a tall house and bursting with character, as you can imagine. The events I'm about to talk about, I feel happened more towards the time of us moving into our own home. I can't remember specific dates or times, but the actual events, I remember those just fine. The first event. One late evening, I was sat downstairs alone when everyone else had gone to bed. I was watching a movie on the TV and I wanted to see the end as I wasn't that tired. Out of respect for the others in the house, I turned the volume down to not disturb them, even though they were quite a way up in the house. As I was sat there, I began to feel uneasy, not something I'd ever felt in that house, or anywhere else for that matter. Feeling anxious, I was strangely afraid of making any sudden movement. I felt like I was being watched, I guess. This is when I began to hear something. It sounded like a cat's bell slightly ringing, just like you'd hear if a cat was scratching itself. Now they did have a cat, but I was certain that it didn't have a bell on its collar. It only seemed to ring for a second or two before it stopped and made way for something that made my blood run cold and send my whole body into shock. I began to hear whispering coming from the end of the room. Now at first, I wasn't even sure if it was whispering I was hearing, until this one moment where I heard words sharply formed and whispered with some urgency. Something like, He's over there. At that point, I just turned off the TV, tried not to panic, and left the room quietly and calmly, even though inside. I was terrified as I knew exactly what I'd just heard. The next morning, I went downstairs and checked the area from where the voice had come from. There was nothing I could see that could explain what I'd heard. Bearing in mind the likes of Most Haunted, Ghost Adventures and all the other paranormal TV shows were not created then, so there was no real way of investigating this. Oh, and I checked the cat too and it didn't have anything on its collar capable of making sound. I didn't mention what had happened to anyone, as I still wasn't sure what I'd heard, and I didn't want to sound weird, but as the weeks went by, I convinced myself that it must have been something explainable, and it went from my mind. Well, until the next time. It had been some time since I first heard the living room whisperer, and I'd almost forgotten about the entire thing, but I was about to be abruptly reminded of it. One evening, we had all been out for a meal and a few drinks. We'd got back home, and her parents and sister all went to bed, leaving just us downstairs. We had another drink, chatted a bit, and then we too decided to go to bed, checking everything was locked and secure as we went. We got into bed, and it wasn't long before I remember being at that point where you were falling asleep, but still slightly awake, if that makes sense. It was then that I began to hear movement coming from downstairs. These sounds very suddenly brought me back from being very drowsy to being fully alert. I lay there, trying to work out if it was actual movement or just the house settling. 
that was until I heard footsteps start to ascend the first set of stairs. The stairs were wooden with no carpet fitted, so these footsteps were very clear indeed. They didn't rush up, but slowly and steadily walked up, with the clear sound of a weighted foot landing on each step. As you can imagine, my mind was running a million different thoughts. Had someone broken in? Had someone broken in and was hiding away in the basement waiting for everyone to go to bed? Or had someone just got up? All these things and more were swirling around my mind the whole time the footsteps kept coming. I was 100% certain that the house was locked and secure. Then the walking had reached the first landing. Again, no fitted carpet, just original wood flooring. The footsteps continued past the bathroom, her sister's room, and was suddenly ascending our flight of stairs. At this point, my girlfriend had suddenly turned over and was now pulling herself into my back, hiding behind me and I could feel her heart pounding into my back as she pulled on my t-shirt and got as close to me as she possibly could. The next few moments would play out in two ways. One. One of the parents had got up and I had missed this while falling asleep. Or two, we really did have an intruder. The footsteps stopped at the entrance to our bedroom and I was getting ready to confront whoever it was. But that wasn't going to be the case. The footsteps started again inside the bedroom. And the reason why I didn't jump out of bed and confront the intruder the bedroom door was closed. Whatever it was had come through the closed bedroom door and was now walking around our bed. I was frozen out of sheer fright and my stomach was in knots. We both just lay there, motionless, as whatever it was walked around the entire bed to the other side of the room. I could feel my partner's body trembling with absolute fear and she pulled my t-shirt tighter each time this thing got closer to her side of the bed. Once it got to her side, it stopped and walked back around to the foot of the bed. It stopped again and then swiped something off the dressing table, something that sounded like a bottle of nail varnish or something as it sounded like glass. But whatever it was landed with a thump in the wicker basket bin beside the table and caused the makeshift bin liner, a carrier bag, to rustle with the impact. The footsteps started again, walking back towards me, out of the closed door, and back down the flight of stairs in the same manner, slowly, steadily, and every step clear until it went back to wherever it came from. We didn't move. We didn't speak. After a short while, my partner released her grip and rolled back over. I don't know whether she slept or not, but I certainly didn't. I'd laid there trying to make sense of what had happened, thinking of any explanation, but there just wasn't one. And even if I did come up with a rational explanation, there was still one big problem. The bedroom door was shut the entire time. As the morning approached and I could see the light bleeding through the curtains, I jumped out of bed and looked in the wicker basket. There wasn't anything in there. 
nothing that made the sound I heard anyway. I looked back towards the bed where my partner was sat up, just looking at me. She looked completely exhausted and expressionless. I began to speak to her about the event. What was that? Did you hear what I heard? What was it? But she shrugged her shoulders. She looked small, frightened, sitting on her hands. Looking at the floor, she said quietly, I don't know what that was, but I never want to talk about it again. And she meant it. It was quite a strange moment. In the days that followed, if I ever tried to speak to her about it, she would just close me down, change the subject, and get agitated if I persisted. Again, I didn't mention the events to her parents, because if I didn't have the backing of their daughter, then what was the point in discussing the incident? It also occurred to me that they probably were aware of such incidents in the house, and me bringing it up may cause a rift as they, like my partner, didn't seem to be comfortable discussing anything possibly supernatural. It just wasn't something that was talked about. There were no further incidents of note following that night, and after a while, we were moving into our new home together. The house we bought was perfect. A two-bedroom, semi-detached house with a long driveway, a garden to the front and rear. It was just perfect for a first home. On the day we moved in, it was a bright, clear, sunny day, and we were absolutely bubbling with excitement, as you can well imagine. We had got everything we needed to the house with the help of family members, and all seemed to be going well. Later that afternoon, it was just my partner, her mother, and myself at the house. They decided they were going to pop to the supermarket, which was conveniently a two-minute walk from the house. They were just going for some essentials that we were too excited to get earlier, so they left, leaving just me in the house. I found myself just pottering around, putting clothes and the like away into newly constructed drawers, etc., when suddenly the house just felt dark. I suddenly felt really uncomfortable, so I decided to go out into the back garden and have a little explore. I put this down to being in a new home and having the responsibility of running a house for myself, paying bills and all those kinds of things. So there I was in the garden when suddenly, and this is just a very badly timed coincidence, the sky turned jet black and an almighty thunderstorm began which had me running back in the house for shelter. Soon the passing storm had cut all power in the house and I was sat there seemingly enveloped in darkness. Sounds dramatic, but that's how it felt. The power finally came back on and my partner along with her mum arrived back. They had been taking shelter in the supermarket waiting for the storm to pass. In the weeks and months that followed, the house was redecorated. Wedding plans were being made, and we even got a cat, so all was seemingly normal, with the usual stresses and strains that come with wedding planning. My partner got a new job in the hospitality industry, which resulted in her working long hours, and I was working 12-hour shifts, so it wasn't uncommon for us to go a few days without seeing each other. It was only when I had four rest days that we really had a chance to catch up, but this was dependent on her work schedule. 
One such occasion was when she was required to work at a different venue to cover a manager shortage. Because of the distance she had to travel, she decided to stay the night and travel home the next day. So, she left, leaving me at home. I had an early start the next morning, so we wouldn't see each other until I got home, which would be around 8pm. That evening was uneventful. I saw some friends for a few hours and then went home to bed as I would be getting up for work at 5am the next day. The cat quite often slept on the bed with me, and this occasion was no different. The next morning the alarm went off. I got up, switched on the light and began getting dressed. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I heard this horrendous guttural growl fill the bedroom. My whole body just froze in complete terror. I was numb. The cat also reacted to the same thing, pinning back her ears and running out of the room. I calmly gathered my clothes, got dressed, and made my way downstairs, trying not to run or react to whatever I had heard. I went into the kitchen, got my lunch from the fridge, put some food down for the cat, and made my way back through the living room towards the front door. The atmosphere in the room at this time was dreadful. It was thick, oppressive, and almost pushing me out of the house. I spent the rest of the day trying to rationalize what it could have been. The only explanation I could come up with was, could there have been a dog outside? But no, the growl was too loud and clear to be from outside, plus the window in the bedroom was closed, so I couldn't explain what it was other than something that was evil. I got home later that evening, and my partner was already home. I decided not to tell her what happened, as at the time I didn't know how I'd explain it, and I wanted to see if anything else would happen, hopefully something that we could both witness. In the weeks that followed, my mood started to change. I began to feel lethargic, tired all the time, very short-tempered, and I just generally couldn't be bothered to do anything. I stopped seeing friends and family, and I only left the house for work. Work was actually the only place that made me feel better. This began to have a knock-on effect on our relationship. We argued a lot more, bickering over the smallest things. Eventually, it got to the point where we put our wedding plans on hold. We agreed that we needed a break from work, etc., so we booked a holiday abroad to take some time out and hopefully get things back on track. Before we left, I asked my brother, who conveniently lived in the next street, if he could keep an eye on things while we were away and just pop in and put food down for the cat. He agreed. No sooner had we left the country, it felt like we were on our way back. We had such a great time and felt refreshed, ready to face the world after this much-needed break. Little did I know what I would face when I got home. My brother and his wife met us at the house on our return, and we had a few drinks while chatting about the holiday and anything that had been happening while we were away. My brother seemed quiet and I sensed something was bothering him. I went into the kitchen to get more drinks, closely followed by my brother. Closing the door behind him, 
he explained that he needed to talk. He went on to explain that when he called into the house a few nights ago, he came in through the back door and into the kitchen. It was then that something began growling at him aggressively from the living room. He panicked, ran from the house locking the door behind him, and he hadn't been back until now. My blood ran cold, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Although I was kind of relieved that it was heard by someone other than me. Again, I hadn't told anyone about what had happened to me. One other thing of note. When I went to put the suitcases back into the spare bedroom, I found that the entire room had been ransacked. Boxes, clothing items were everywhere. It looked as if a tornado had ripped through the room. And so, my partner began spending more time at work. And I was alone. In the house. A lot more. And I started to feel as I did before. Nothing further happened, but I hated being in the house alone. I felt like I was being watched. I was short-tempered and irritable all over again. I decided that I'd had enough. I left the house and the relationship and moved back home with my family until I found somewhere for myself. It wasn't long until I started feeling more positive, back to how I was before. I was healthier and reconnected with friends. My partner also moved out and we rented out the property until we sold it a year later. A few years after Most Haunted began airing on TV, my interest in the paranormal grew. Eventually, I became involved in some paranormal teams, and I've had the pleasure of investigating with some truly amazing people. When asked what got me into the paranormal, I always tell this story. And knowing what I know now, it's abundantly clear to me that, perhaps rather eerily, my partner had an attachment which seemed to follow her from her parents' house to our new house. I also think that because she was spending so much time in work and was away from home, this entity latched onto me instead, and that's why I experienced the changes in mood and personality. I really do enjoy paranormal investigations, and I've not experienced anything like I did back then. I hope you enjoyed this account. And that, I'm afraid, is the end of this week's spooky story time. I think you'll all agree that these stories are all quite astonishing and at times pretty darn frightening. And if you have any thoughts, theories or similar experiences to any of these stories, then we would love to hear from you. Let us know on Twitter at HauntedUKPod. Include the hashtag HauntedUKPodcast and we could start a conversation going. Alternatively, let us know on Instagram at Haunted UK Podcast. Drop us a message or even a voice note. We love hearing your stories and opinions. A massive thank you to everyone who kindly shared their experiences in this episode. It's hugely appreciated and I'm tremendously grateful. This is only the second part of this season's listener stories and, believe me, there's still plenty more to come. You'll all just have to be a little bit patient. In the meantime, be careful the next time you are on your own in, say, a living room, and you hear something. You think it's a whisper. He's over there. 
but you're not quite sure. Because the next person to feature in a listener's story could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK Podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episodes. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story, so it's easier for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost respect and privacy, and if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at Pink Flamingo Home Studios in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you'd like to know more about the studio or have any questions, then please get in touch via email at pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. Or why not follow the studio on Instagram at pinkflamingohomestudio. For a list of all research sources which we found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Hello and welcome to Real Life Ghost Stories podcast. If you love deep dives into paranormal cases, then Real Life Ghost Stories is the podcast for you. I'm Emma, your host, and every Sunday I present to you a famous paranormal case or claim. Not only that, but every Wednesday and Friday I release a mini episode which is dedicated to the paranormal experiences of our listeners. So if you are looking for a non-judgmental paranormal podcast with a focus on storytelling, then Real Life Ghost Stories is the podcast for you. Join me every Wednesday, Friday and Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts.